Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. And Our American Heritage, a program where we explore in depth the American experience from our beginning through the present day. And today we want to welcome back as our special guest, Nicole Roper. So, Nicole, thank you for coming back and sharing with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me back, Arch. Well, last week we listened to Nicole talk a little bit or somewhat of the history of the of Fort Mifflin and the background of Fort Mifflin and the tremendous amount of importance that it had throughout so much of American history. And Nicole, before you get right back into Fort Mifflin, would you share again with our listeners your educational background and what you were doing presently? Sure. My educational background, I am a history major from DeSales University with a concentration in European history. Now, Arch had asked me last week, and I do want to explain, DeSales University was such a small college at the time when I went through that I ha- they wanted us to focus on one particular direction, either European or American history. At the time, they only offered European history classes, not so much American history. So I focused on the European history. But now that I'm out and I've taught American history at West Catholic High School for 18 years, and I'm currently teaching at Trester Community Charter School with the sixth graders, I try and uh, look at our local connections to history because there's so much out there. And there's so much that I wish more and more people knew. So many people may drive by Fort Mifflin and they don't realize that they're driving by it. Or if you are a frequent flyer out of the Philadelphia airport, <laughs> you you may not have realized what you were flying over when you, if you saw a flag that was flying out and you're flying over Fort Mifflin. And I like to tell people Fort Mifflin is the bombardment that no one remembers that kept the British unsupplied while they were in Philadelphia while George Washington was in Valley Forge. And now, Nicole, one now, of, go ahead. Yeah. No, I you go, go ahead. No, go ahead. You, you go know, ahead. I, you, you were involved at Fort Mifflin and the Tommy Mouse, Thomas Massey House in Broomall and on the board at Paoli Battlefield. So uh, share with our listeners, you grew up in, our, in the Philadelphia area, is that correct? Yes, I, I grew up in Drexel Hill and, Br- and Broomall, PA. Uh, in Broomall, I actually wasn't that far from Thomas Massey House, and I'd actually like to say talking about Thomas Massey House later on, but um, I wanted to give back. I am, a, I am a firm believer in civics education and having our students understand that you need to give back. You need to help with the community. You need to be involved. And I knew uh, about the Thomas Massey House. It was like three minutes away from where I lived. I was like, okay, I keep passing this place. Let me go in there and see if they need help. And they're, they're always looking for volunteers um, to give tours. Unfortunately, with COVID, we have not been able to do that as much. And looking forward to seeing some of the changes. Mm-hmm. Um, for Mifflin, we have amazingly enough been able to stay. At, we were open all last summer. Uh, we've been open for about the past four or five weeks now on weekends. So 
feel free to come down and visit. We we would love to have you. And I'm I want you in a few minutes to tell our listeners what they can actually do when they come and visit Fort Mifflin. But before that, Nicole, because I don't, I'm old and I'll forget this question. In our last show, you were talking about the importance of Fort Mifflin during the Civil War. And, and would you share with our listeners a little bit more about that? Because I just found that very interesting. Absolutely. During the Civil War, they used Fort Mifflin as a prisoner of war camp. And many of the prisoners of war were coming from uh, the Battle of Gettysburg. We had over 150 prisoners at Fort Fort Mifflin. So it's one of those, those that fought at the Battle of Gettysburg were being stationed there. Also, uh, if they have fought, fought at to do some other locations as well, like Fort McHenry down in Baltimore, Governor's Island up in New York, and Fort Mifflin. They were all converted to be prisoner of war camps. Wow. So we had Confederates in, in Philadelphia during the... During yes, the we did. <laughs> yep, and we used the three largest casemates as their shelters when they were there. And explain to our listeners, please, the, what do you mean by casemates? The casemate is a bomb-proof shelter. It's what they use to, like, if anybody was on the water and decided to uh, shoot cannon shots at the fort, uh, they w- the casemates were used to house or keep everybody inside the fort safe. Okay. And I know I, I know we said 150. Let me, at its peak during the Civil War, we had 216 mm. POWs. Wow. So it's one of, we were one of the larger prisons during and, the Civil War. And that would, it's not that big, so it would be very crowded for these POWs. Yes, it, yes, it would be. So, Nicole, well, again, before we get to what people can see and do when they visit Fort Mifflin, would you take us through uh, the rest of the history of Fort Mifflin? Because you mentioned that it was an, an, on active duty till 1954? Yes, until 1954. So what, what they did was... Go ahead. What did they do with uh, after the Civil War? Uh, what was Fort Mifflin used for till 1954? Okay, it was... Still a, it was still used by the Army Corps of Engineers. It was a gun, we have it as protection for Philadelphia. It was also, uh, the Corps of Engineers constructed, uh, constructed a large gunpowder magazine in 1867 to be used, uh, in defense if anybody come up for example, during World War One, if for for some strange reason, if the Germans had found a way up the Delaware River, um, but they were keeping magazines and gunpowder uh, for World War One. They also did tra- basic training uh, at Fort Mifflin as well. It was already in a state of other disrepair before uh, World War One. Then they started rebuilding it back up again. It was designated a National Historic Monument by the War Department in 1915. Um, as I said, the District Corps of Engineers will end up using it as a barracks for their barracks and the hospital building and the Commandant's house. And they will use it uh, heavily into the 1920s. And it's primarily primarily being used to store ammunition by okay. the Navy. Uh, so, so now, Nicole, take us through, uh, share with our listeners, please. They come and visit Fort Mifflin. What is what what 
activities or things that are at more Fort Mifflin that our listeners could come and see and and get get historical and education with. Absolutely. Well, we'll walk you through the fort so you'll actually see the case the casemates. We do have it, it's not the original, obviously, but we do have the flag flying every day, and we go through and we'll take you through. We don't take you through the uh, hospital building. The hospital building is actually uh, outside of the um, area of the fort, but we use that as our administrative offices. We do have still have the quartermaster store that was built in 1843, and that's where we have our gift shop. We'll walk you through the Northeast Bastion, the casemates, and the flagpoles, so you can actually see what the casemates were like. You can go in there and be able to see it. Um, we do have a large picnic area, so you can come and have a nice picnic there. Um, and you can, just to explain before I go any further than that, you can even rent out the fort. If you want to rent out the fort for a gathering, and if you want to come and uh, stay overnight, you can even come and stay overnight. Oh, Matt, I, didn't, I was not aware of that. That's very interesting. Yep, you can gladly come and uh, camp out. We, the Boy Scouts, do it a lot. Uh, a lot of the reenactors will actually camp out on the ground. Uh, it's one of those. And if you are into the haunted history, we have several places that are considered haunted. We are considered one of the one of the big haunted locations to come and visit. We have had a lot of different organizations come through Fort Mifflin. Uh, I mentioned one of the stories before of um, one of our, we think it's a Confederate soldier who helped out one of my coworkers. Uh, we do have a, we've seen around the soldier's barracks called the, has been nicknamed the lamplighter. Uh, in the 18th and 19th centuries, there was a soldier tasked with lighting the gas lamps that lined the porch of the soldier's barracks. It came occasionally he is still seen walking along the porch with his lamp wick stick, but more often often he is experienced as the sound of bootsteps walking along the stone porch. Hmm. Uh and yes, we do have we have had visitors stay in the soldiers' barracks if they're not if they don't want to actually camp outside. Um so we'll typically have people tell us that they've heard footsteps either up in the attic or um and it was actually, this was the story I was telling you before about the student who took the photograph of the uh, Revolutionary War figure who does not remember resemble any of our tour guides. We think this is that soldier, the lamplighter. Interesting. Uh, so it's, it, and um, you may have heard of the Screaming Lady. Now, historic records provide information on two women that we women that we think it's a good reason why it could possibly be them that people are hearing. The first one is Elizabeth Pratt. She lived with her husband, Sergeant Pratt, in a small building on the site of the current artillery shed in the very early 19th century. She lost her infant son in July of 1802, and a young daughter to the yellow fever epidemic that went through Philadelphia in 1802 and 1803. And we think that she could still be uh, grieving her children. 
Now, the one that we think is a more likely ca candidate is Elizabeth Bunker, who lived on the second floor suite on the left side of the officer quarters in the 1860s. She suffered from gastritis, which was a very serious intestinal disease causing, which caused painful cramps. As this disease progressed, she was moved over to the hospital building where she uh, passed away in August of 1863. And it's typically around the hospital building that you end up hearing the screams. And as I said, I have not actually been at the site when people have heard the screams. Uh. I have had co-workers who have heard the screams, and I actually asked last year if anybody had uh, heard anything from the screaming lady in a while, and someone had said that they had heard someone a year before, and oh. it's like, okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, I was like, it's one of those, and it's not that I dis I am not trying to disprove any of the idea that we have ghosts on our on our grounds. Uh, as I said, we have a lot of people who come in, and they're uh, the ghost enthusiasts, and they've said that they've been able to record things on their uh, machines and have been able, some have seen things. Uh, there's another picture that I've seen where it's a um, Boy Scout troop, and they're taking, getting their picture taken in the Arsenal building, and a bunch of the Boy Scouts had complained that it seemed like somebody had been following them the whole day. Well, when they have their picture uh, taken and they develop the picture, a bunch of little white orbs were showing up mm. in front of the kid mm. in the picture. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. That's okay. <laughs> and, I know, and I know that that whole area with the paranormal is a very popular and a very con uh, controversial uh, area that people constantly talk about and, and debate back and forth. But, you know, it, it's so interesting to think that, that that those things could possibly be there. So, Nicole, now shift gears for us and talk to us about the Thomas Massey House in Broomall and okay. what, can, what can be done there and your involvement there and the, some of the history of the Thomas Massey House, please. Okay, the Thomas Massey House, it is one of the few original, again, Quaker uh, homes that are still in existence in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. It is the oldest English Quaker home in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania now in the National Registry of Historic Places and Historic American Building Survey. It was started by Thomas Massey. He had bought the area back in 1696, and he first started it as a small uh, existing log frame house. In 1731, his son Mordecai is actually going to replace it with the stone section that you see today. Just about all that you see today was built by Mordecai. Um, there is an evidence of a walk-in fireplace. There is the beehive oven, which we are very proud of. We actually have the beehive oven. It's actually inside of our modern day kitchen that we've kind of built around it. Uh, because we still give throughout the year, at least twice a year now, I don't know if we're going to end up uh, increasing that number once we get out of COVID, we still give colonial dinners. And we will, and when I say we, we do have a member of our uh, board who will cook traditional colonial meals. And that's, that is the fun stuff. That's the fun stuff to see. And we're talking truly colonial, using the old pot, hanging them from the from the walls, hanging them from the ceilings. And we will cook pies. We will cook bread in our beehive oven. 
and you can still you can still use it. And Nicole, I was um, able to participate in in one of those meals about four years ago, and it was. It, it, I and, hope you enjoyed every minute. And well, I did, and it, you know, it, it, just the food that was prepared and the utensils that we used. And does Patricia Martin is she the cook? She is the cook. She is she is the president of our board right now. Um, and she will start cooking that like two, three, four days beforehand. But she will do the cooking in the stove, in the not the stove, in the fireplace that we have right in the when you come when you walk in and you look to the left and you go see the fireplace right there. And I I don't know Nicole if you knew this, but Patricia or I called her Pat and her husband Bob. We all went to school together. And I, and I know it's probably hard for you to believe because I look so much younger than the two of them because I was four when I graduated from high school. But I've, I've known Pat and Bob, uh, you know, for many, many years, and we all went to high school together. So, <clears throat> Well, it's good to know that there are still those connections. Uh, I would love to make a shout-out for Richard Paul. Yes. He was such a hardworking man. Yeah. Uh, we lost him over the uh, Christmas season, uh, possibly to COVID, but I'm not. You might have to edit that out. Sorry, Arch. No, it's um, okay. But uh, it's one of those. We we miss him a great deal. He really was the, and so is Pat Martin. They the two of them are both the heart and soul of the organization. Mm-hmm. We keep up the place as much as we can. Uh, when you come and tour. We, we have you go through each room. So you, we actually tell you what's still original, what can, uh, what can be done in each room, what was, was done in each room, uh, what we have from the Massey family up in our, up on the second floor. Um, there, why, and unfortunately I am blanking on, uh, a former Marple senior high school teacher. Uh, who also worked at the Massey House uh, and helped out consistently at the Massey House. Um, and I really do apologize that I can't think of her name at this mo- at this point. Was that, uh, uh, Mrs. Was that uh, Luke, Mrs. Lucas? Or Mrs. Yeah, Lucas? you got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. She Mrs. was a wonderful, Lucas. wonderful lady and a great historian. And to to lose her several years ago and then over the winter to, Rich, to lose Rich Paul, who just loved – Loved American history and was so uh, so involved in the Massey House. That was a big a big loss, a, a, a huge loss. Yes, it a, was a very sad loss. So, well, do you does Thomas Massey House Nicole have a website that the listeners could go to? And yes, we do. Uh, the website for Thomas Massey House is Thomas Massey M A S S E Y House dot org. And we have all the listings. We have information about the uh, background of the house. And we also have a calendar of events that we have not updated yet for this year. Uh, We have last year's schedule. I have no idea with COVID what's happening right now with that. Uh, We should be having a board meeting soon, I hope, uh, to be able to talk about what's the next step that we're going to do. because right now we have had the place closed up during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those we do we do uh, do tours May through, well once COVID is out of here from May through October on Sundays from one to four. 
because uh, we really are a small organization. We are count, we are county run and managed. Uh, we are very grateful for everything that we get from the uh, Marple Township. It's one of those, the fact that it is still in existence, I am absolutely thrilled. Yes. Going back to Miss Lucas, you had mentioned her name before. Um, where her family had brought down a log cabin from Maine. Um, and it had actually been on a property on 320 that we didn't find out until after it gotten torn down. And they're putting a new uh, housing development there right now. Uh, so we've actually lost a, lot, a log cabin, but we're trying to get what wood was left to be able to save it as much as we can. But we we try and do everything that we possibly can to keep those local connections. People need to understand how important it is to understand your local history. Yes. And yes. to try and save as much as you possibly can locally. And I know it may seem like a dream, but you know what? If we don't have the local history to look at, it's not like we're going to have much to talk about. You're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, Nicole, my next question, another question for is the Tommy Mas Thomas Massey House and the Marple Historical Society, are they connected together? Uh, it's funny you should mention that because we are kind of in the process of trying to do that. Um, because many of us who are on the board for Thomas Massey House, are also on the board for the Marple Historical Society. We just haven't figured out how to get that to work yet, but okay. we're in the process. Okay, so you are connected and you work together, which is also a phenomenon with so many historical sites that have a tendency not to want to work together. So it's commemorable that you, you want to do that. So again, oh, absolutely. share with our listeners, please, when you reopen after we get COVID of the, 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 um, the Revolutionary War dinners that they could have cooked there and the things that they could they could come and see in the Tom, Thomas Massey House. Sure. At the Thomas Massey House, uh, we give tours of once COVID is done, Monday, May, not Monday, May through October, Sunday afternoons from one to four. We do, uh, sometimes we haven't been consistent with this, but we do try and do like a, uh, dress up the place for Christmas, for the Christmas season. We might try and do a Christmas tea, uh, and the like. Um, the bigger thing that we are more of most, I'm most proud of because of how hard, uh, Pat Mark, Martin works on cooking the colonial dinners. We typically do that two, three times a year and you can actually, you can make a reservation for these dinners. Uh, it typically costs about $15 to make a, uh, deposit to actually participate in the dinners and it's essentially a three course meal. We'll, we'll give you soup. We will give you a full entree. Uh, we'll provide you with vegetables and the like. And we will also give you a traditional, traditional colonial dessert as well. So we will real, and you're eating off of pewter plates, using pewter forks, pewter spoons, you name it. We really do try and keep it as traditional as possible. So you really understand what's going on. Uh, what would have been happening in a, traditional Quaker house and it, and listeners it's it's a wonderful meal and it's a very educational meal and and one of the good things is you will leave full 
And so it, it, it's really a great experience. And I recommend and I encourage all of you to go and visit the, the Thomas Massey House in Broomall. It's right a little past the intersection of uh, Lawrence Road and Sproul Road, Sproul Road uh, through 320 in Broomall. So, Nicole, thank you for sharing with us about your involvement with Fort Mifflin and what our listeners could could see and get involved in Fort Mifflin, and also for your involvement at the Thomas Massey House and everything that you're doing there to continue to, to educate uh, all the people living locally about the history and also your involvement and everything you do for the Paoli Battlefield. So thank you very much for your involvement and continuing to want to teach all of us about our local American history. Well, thank you very much, Arch, as well. I greatly appreciate your opportunity to be able to talk with you and be able to talk about these two organizations because I want people to be able to come out and see them. So, listeners, so please visit these places, visit these sites. Uh, There's so many activities that that are, are fun but also very educational, and you can learn about a lot of so much of our local American history. So we want to thank Nicole for coming again and sharing on our program today. And we encourage all of you to continue to learn and grow about American history. So this is WFYL 1180 AM. We are working for your liberty.